The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates. Hello, and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Coates, and today we are going to reflect back on some of our highlight moments on the Turning Your Life Around podcast. A lot has changed in the past eight months since we started the podcast, and I thought today would be a good time to reflect on some of the good nuggets of information that our amazing therapists at 180 Counseling have shared with the audience tuning in and listening to the podcast Without further ado, let's kick it off and share a little clip from Heidi Fox, her podcast on how she survived a brain tumor. Number one, my, my faith in God, my faith in, in a higher power, something other than myself, was absolutely key and instrumental in me getting through something like this. I, I don't know how I would have gotten through it otherwise if I didn't have that. So that was absolutely key. It deepened and grew and strengthened more than I ever thought possible. The individual ways that... God showed up for me to meet me where I was, blew me away, blew me away, just how personal he was. And that really, really helped sustain me and comfort me to know that I really, truly was not alone because there were some very dark nights, especially in the hospital when my whole family had left and I was by myself in my hospital bed. I just would cry out to God because I, I was so alone and, and I felt it. I felt that, that, that loneliness. There was one incident where I was lying there and I just felt enveloped by this warm golden light. Inexplicable, just felt really warm, golden light, comforted, peaceful. And the next day when, when I had woken up, I was like, okay, God, was, was that the drugs? Was that you? Because that was just almost, almost tangible. And I just let it go. And I um, was reading one of my daily devotionals, Jesus Calling. And this was several days later. And the first words on that daily devotional were, let me envelop you with my warm golden light. Wow. And I just felt like that was a personal message. A little God wink. It was, absolutely. And there were many of those. I mean, I could wax and wane. Uh, stories, I have really just an, an, an abundance of, of stories like that. Just little things that, that it was God saying to me, I've got you. I'm with you. So I think the faith was, was, was a huge part in getting me through that. As far as from a clinical perspective, yeah, when I came out of the hospital and started really the road to recovery, just you know, re reacclimating back into home life and, and normal life, I t was told so many times in the hospital, well, you have to find a new normal. And, and that would infuriate me because I would say, I didn't want a new normal. I don't want a new normal. I want the old way of how my life was. I followed my doctor's orders. I listened to what they said. My radiation oncologist is amazing. And she told me, if you exercise heading into radiation, it will be a much easier experience. Meditation, eat healthy. And again, thank you, God, that I got into this program that helped me lose all this weight. It also taught me how to eat right. very, very, very healthy. 
managing my anxiety, I got very depressed. The anxiety was, was huge because there was such fear that my life would never again be what it was. I still had deficits on my, my left side, and I, I still do to this day, and they're especially prominent when I'm tired. But there will be times, you know, where I will hug my husband and I don't I don't know where my hand is. I don't know if it's around his neck, on his back. I, I can't tell. And I was really angry. And he was absolutely so, so gracious. And he could see when I would start to fumble or especially in, in bigger crowds. That was when we were gathering in bigger crowds. <laughs> I would get this look on my face, I guess, where I would feel really disoriented and overwhelmed and just kind of lost. And he would just kind of take my hand and scoot out. But they told me too when I left the hospital, make sure you rest, make sure you rest, rest, rest. And as a type A person who is a goer and a doer, and that was really hard for me to just rest. It was really hard for me to accept life on life's terms. And that's mm. something that the program I'm in has, has helped me do. Accepting life on life's terms, finding gratitude. And that was something that I was, again, by the grace of God, was able to do in the hospital was to find gratitude. A couple times a nurse came into my room and I would always talk with the nurses and everyone coming in. And it was just a way that I felt like I had some control over the situation and to just be friendly and connect with them. And this nurse came in one day, and I forget how the conversation even started, but I was having a pity party. I was feeling sorry for myself. She didn't know that. I was just lying in bed, just kind of crying and, again, feeling sorry for myself. And she and I just started chatting, and I said something to her, and she said in her southern accent, well, honey, you're one of the only patients on this unit who's able to get up and go to the bathroom by herself. You talk about fresh perspective and gratitude. I was like, okay, God, thank you. Got it. I can get up. I can walk. I don't need someone taking me to the toilet. Like, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I might have some deficits, but I'm okay. And so finding gratitude was huge. Learning to just go into deep acceptance for my, my new normal. Being grateful that I was alive. I think for me, before this happened, I took my health for granted. And I took my abilities for granted. When I go out for a walk now, I try to exercise every day, get outside, it is so cathartic. It is so healing. I could weep with, with gratitude on most days because when you've lost something like that or lost the ability to function normally and then you r regain it somewhat, not, not even fully, but regain it, it's changed everything for me. It has honestly changed everything. And to me, having gratitude doesn't mean I'm Pollyanna. I don't have problems. I mean, right. this is hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. And we're still coming out from under it financially, emotionally, right. mentally, you know, trying to, to navigate. And now with the pandemic and, and everything else happening in the world. So I also relied on family a lot for support, family, friends, um, it brought my family much closer together, too. It's just amazing, too, how people showed up. And I think it restored a lot of my faith in humanity as well. Heidi's story of resiliency was so moving, and I'm so glad that she was able to share her personal story. Moving on to the next podcast, What to Expect in Therapy. This is a really good podcast episode that I talked about what individuals seeking out therapy, especially nowadays, what they can expect from a therapist, what they can expect the process of therapy to look like for them, and how they can move forward with a healthier life. Okay, Sarah, first question is, what should someone expect 
when they become a client of 180 Counseling. A lot of times we have clients ask before they actually schedule appointments. I think a lot of people are unsure how the therapy process works. Maybe they've never talked to a therapist before and they don't really even know what to expect. Some people often think about the Hollywood idea of going to see a quote-unquote shrink and lying down on a couch and that's really not how it happens. That is very much a Hollywood glamorization of the therapy process. So a therapist usually sits in what kind of looks like a living room. And at most of our 180 offices, most other offices I've been in that practice therapy have their rooms set up like a living room, a couch, a couple chairs, some relaxing furniture to sit in so that the client feels grounded and at peace and comfortable because that is the point we want you to feel comfortable enough to open up to a total stranger. Uh, of course, we don't expect you to open up the first, the first session completely. We know it's the intake process, the intake interview or assessment where we are just kind of a establishing some rapport and getting to know you and your story a little bit. But we want to make it comfortable for you. So a therapist office usually looks like a comfortable living room where you feel hopefully safe and comfortable enough to share your story. As we all know, this past year has been difficult, especially for couples who maybe were locked in together for many weeks or many months and some of our little intricate details or idiosyncrasies that we all do as individuals came to the surface. And so finding a spouse is hugely important. And Olatunde Howard had some really good information and pieces of advice on how to find a spouse. It's, it's beautiful because if you're not, because I'm actually doing this in yeah. one of my sessions, we stop there. Yeah. And we're like, okay, that before we can go on to the next step, you have to become the kind of person you want to marry. And the beautiful thing about it is, no matter what, you're becoming this person mm -hmm. that you're going to increase your confidence because when you are the kind of person you want to marry, like attracts like. Exactly. So it's, it's more likely that you're going to attract this kind of person to you and mm -hmm. be attractive to that kind of person, like you just said. And you just become a better person. Right. Right. So if they can look me in the face and say, okay, I can honestly say, Olatune, I am the kind of person that I want to marry. Or sometimes I'll say, well, you know, I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, are you okay with being with somebody who's working on it? Yeah. And if good they question. Are, then fine. But if they want the person to have arrived, then they need to arrive. Mm. Right. So once they can say they know, then we go to the third phase, which is going to where this person most likely will be. Now, the beautiful thing about the research is there are two ways to think about that. So you got an attraction research you have was, was focused on in terms of proximity. And that basically just means they're wherever you are. Mm -hmm. You know, my brother met his wife in the grocery store. Yeah. So, again, there's no mystery. You, you, two people have to be at the same place at the same time for the same reason. So wherever you are, just mm -hmm. look for them and look for the one that's looking for you. And the beauty of it is if you go back to these first two steps, you're going to kind of put out a vibe now of what you're available to. Right. So I usually tell people, if you think about somebody says they want to buy a car and they don't make it any more specific than that, then they don't narrow down their options. But if they say, I want a white Jeep Cherokee, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you start mm -hmm. seeing that. Yeah. You start seeing them everywhere. They've been there the whole time. So it's like that when you decide what you want. But the other part, Sarah, is in addition to just general proximity, just think about what you like doing. So, for example, let's say I have a client that is a dog lover, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and when I say a dog lover, they cannot live without dogs. That's a part of who they are. Well, most likely their person is not going to be somebody that hates dogs. Right. They're not going to be somebody that's allergic to them. So it's going to be somebody who also loves dogs. Well, where are you going to meet a dog lover? A dog a, park. A dog park, right? Pet smart. <laughs> yeah, buying some. See what I mean? So yeah. it takes the mystery out of it. Right. And you don't have to have lines. You just talk about your dog. 
you both like dogs. You know about your dog. And I'm sure that dog lovers have the three things that you like. They're probably some attractive dog lovers. So it takes away the mystery of, well, where do I go? What do I talk about? Dogs. Yeah. At a dog park. So once you realize that it's, again, wherever you are, your person can be there. And specifically when you're just doing what you love to do. The last and, and significantly important one is you show this person and yourself to a designated truth teller in your life. Somebody who can tell you the truth about the vibe that you both have. Because I did some research and it said that designated truth tellers have an 85% chance of being more accurate in predicting whether this person is the one for you. And total strangers, Sarah, who are armed with this information also have a 75% chance of predicting it better than you do. Total strangers. It takes a lot of vulnerability for any individual, but especially a therapist who is a helper by profession to admit their own need for therapy. And Ryan Denny shared some of his personal story about his soul work and how he helps others do their own soul work through his podcast episode on When Therapists Need Therapy Too. I went to therapy and got fixed and everything was great. That is not what happened. You know, what actually happened is I realized I needed to be healed. And as I went through more graduate training, I realized that I actually was pretty depressed as well. Pretty sad, pretty kind of low-grade, chronic depression. I wasn't suicidal, you know, I was still able to function and get my PhD and all of that, but I was pretty sad sack, really, if I was honest. So anxiety and depression is basically what I was struggling with. And so I realized that I got to do something about this because it's not just going to go away, just a big important realization. And then I wanted to get fixed. I wanted it to be over and better and done with. And so (laughs) I sought out some therapy for that. The first thing I realized was that you don't get fixed. I was just going to say that, right? (laughs) So many clients come in with this misconception Mm -hmm. that I'm going to do a little therapy session here too, and I'm fixed onto the next thing. Right. But we know therapy is a process. Yes. Yeah. It is, and because it's not fixing we need, it's healing. Fixing comes from the outside. Anybody can do it. Healing comes from the inside out. That's so good. Just that right there is so valuable for people just to sit and just think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. It's a bitter pill because we all want to get fixed. Another thing that I learned was humility. took a big old pill of humility because I had to admit that I was imperfect that I needed help, that I could not heal on my own, and that I'm human like everybody else. And I find as a therapist that this is a defining variable for people who actually heal and who don't, is people who are willing to be humble about it. Yeah, that's interesting. Tell the audience more. What do you mean by that's the key piece there? When you are humble, you're taking responsibility for yourself, and you're acknowledging that you need help. And when you're not, then you're blaming other people Mm. and you're expecting others to fix you, which they cannot do. And you're mad all the time. I can only help you if you let me. And you have to be really humble and vulnerable to let me or anybody help you. And if it's so interesting, people that come to therapy don't want help (laughs) yet. Right. You know, who are not ready. I know. I was thinking about clients I've had in the past or clients that we've had, and maybe they they quit therapy after three or four sessions. Oh, that didn't work for me, is the response that might be shared. But what you're saying is, is a very important piece here, that maybe they weren't ready to do the work 
or to do yeah. the change yeah. that is necessary. And the humility is such a vital piece of that. Yeah, it really is. And responsibility going with that. When I was in high school, our high school chemistry teacher told us to write something on the top of our notebook. She said, write this. If it's to be, it's up to me. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, somebody famous said it, I guess. But I always remembered that because it's like you are responsible for getting things done and for making things happen. And it's the same with mental health. Mm -hmm. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're healing from, your healing work is your responsibility. And as a therapist, I will help you. I will do everything I can to help you, but you are the one who must take ownership of it. Ryan's story was helpful and is helpful for listeners who also need to know that recovery is possible. And John Eklund, LCSW, shared a really good episode on how recovery is possible and how you can recover too. And he also shared some of his own personal story about recovery. I was about to actually graduate Evangelion University of Missouri. I was in this internship with the juvenile justice system in, in Missouri. I kind of got in trouble with the person who was supervising my internship. She didn't like football players or some such thing. She, <laughs> we just did not get along very well. And so I had like a C minus or a D or something like that. And I was desperate to try to get my grade up. So I volunteered for this group process within the juvenile justice center, this uh, juvenile jail. And there were kids in there. And I kind of get emotional thinking about it. <clears throat> There were kids in there that were like 15, 14, 15, 16 who had sexually abused other mm. children and they were in there, you know, serving time. And part of their treatment was that they had to go to a group session and there was this group therapist there and he needed somebody to kind of help corral the kids and nobody wanted that job. And so I volunteered for it cause I'm like, man, I need to get my grade up. And so I bring these kids in and this therapist would have these kids in this room and he loved these kids. And these kids, they had to get in there and tell these stories of what they had done to violate these children. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the first time I'm in there, my eyes are just as big as dinner plates and my jaws on the floor. And I just watched this man love these children, love these kids right where they were. And I looked at that guy and I said, that's, that's what I want to do. That's it right there is, is meet people where they're at, meet people in their struggle. I don't know. Everything clicked at that at that point. So, yeah, it's it's weird how God has a way of just kind of like shifting your direction and going, oh, we're going to go this way. He draws straight with crooked lines sometimes. That's what I heard the other day. I, li so. I like that. I always, again, in my codependency, I thought I had to work on my weaknesses. I always was like, all right, I got to work on the things I'm weak at. And I remember reading an Andy Stanley book. You know, he's got a huge church down in Atlanta. And he's like, the way that I grew my church and grew my ministry and just whatever. As he said that, I used to think I had to work on my weaknesses. But then I realized that what I should be doing is getting better at my strengths and delegating my weaknesses. Totally. Delegate your weaknesses. <laughs> and I, I remember that was just like this huge light bulb, the power. Power of delegation and going like, because your weakness is someone else's strength. Absolutely. Right. And that's how you end up growing a business too. Yeah. Right. I mean, you grow a business going like, man, I got all these, you know, admins, which we have the best admins on we earth. Do. Right. We do. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, you have people who you know, run a podcast and say, man, you can do this. I'm, you know, this isn't my thing. But uh, if you delegate your weaknesses, you get stronger. And Absolutely. that is what I think that's what the Bible's talking about. When it says, you know, God's power is perfected in our weaknesses. Like when you go, I need help. All of a sudden, man, people are like, mm, let's go. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Absolutely. So I think, you know, being in a place of weakness, being in a place of humility is just being in a place of saying like, and, and I think this is the first step to, I don't care if it's recovery or counseling or, or, or whatever you're doing is I need help. Mm. I need help. And I, I hope if anybody ever listens, if one person's out there and just like, if that's the only thing they hear is it's okay to ask for help. Now that we've all made it through a pandemic and turning the corner, we all need a little motivation to keep going. And Jenny Compton shared the motivation myth and how motivation meets you where you are when you start putting forth the action. Yeah, so if I think motivation is the cause of the action I want to take, then I'm going to wait for the motivation to start. And I may never start if I would just be sitting around wishing for it. And that's what I see with a lot of people, you know, with the first type, the person who waits until they feel like it. They're just waiting, waiting, waiting and wishing that they could get started. It's like sitting on the sidelines, watching everybody else have fun in life while they're wishing that they had the motivation when really all you have to do is just jump in right. and do the thing. But when I realize that motivation is the byproduct, then I start the action and motivation will meet me there. Motivation is not going to suddenly come upon you while you're sitting on the couch. Uh, you're going to have to take the action first, but what you do daily matters. And I've come up with three things that I think will help your motivation level. Okay, I always like to give people three things yeah. or five things. That way they can help uh, remember. Number one is clarify your vision. Take the time to figure out what makes you cry. What makes you cry? What makes you sing? What are your dreams? Vision activates your sense of purpose and relates directly to your level of motivation. I can't get motivated about something I have no interest in. Right. Yeah. If you're not passionate about something, mm -hmm. how can you be motivated about it? That's right. Number two, take responsibility for your life. Take 100% responsibility. And really what I mean by that is take control of your life. Mm -hmm. I see in my line of work, a lot of parents who are living their dreams vicariously through their kids. So this has come up repeatedly. So I'm <laughs> safe saying this. I'll have the parents who bring the kid to see me for therapy. The kid is a sensational soccer player probably could make it professional. And and the parents are pushing, they're sacrificing their time and their money, and, and they're driving all over the country. They're paying over, I don't know, 1500 a month or more for yeah. extra coaching. And the kid, I get the kid alone, and the kid is like, this is not my dream. Right. This is not what I want to do. So take control of your life. You don't have to live out somebody else's dream for your life. You're going to be burned out very quickly. You're going to fade away way. Also, negative emotions really serve as demotivators. So if you're living somebody else's dream for your life, you're very demotivated. You've got a lot of negative emotions floating around in there. But your emotions don't have to dictate what you do. You can act yourself. Kind of like when you said, fake it till you make it. Right. You can act yourself into a feeling way faster than you can feel yourself into action. We sure appreciate you tuning in to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. And if you like what you've been hearing, be sure to give us a five-star review. We love putting out this information to the audience and Triangle listeners and beyond. And we are excited to serve you and your families 
in one of our six locations. Our newest location on North Harrison Avenue in Cary launches June 1st, where we will continue to help individuals and families turn their lives around. Be sure to check us out at 1-80counseling.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.